Welcome to Broadcasting Common Ground, the Deep Foundation Institute's podcast channel. In this series, DFR's Rumble, we will be speaking with opposing industry representatives, asking hard questions and facilitating a polite argument. In this episode, General Contractor versus Regulator, Ed Lazinski will be talking on behalf of General Contractors, and Sarah McInnes will take the side of a regulator. Sponsored by ECA. Welcome to DFI's podcast, Broadcasting Common Ground. I'm Lucky Nagarajan, and welcome to Rumble, where we ask two guests to enter the arena and go toe-to-toe on topics relevant to our industry. The referee facilitates the discussion. In this episode, Sebastian Lobo Guerrero referees the discussion between Sarah McInnes regulator with District 6, Pennsylvania Department of Transportation, and Ed Lesinski, general contractor with Wagman Heavy Civil Construction Inc. Both have a lot of sparks to fly. Sebastian, can you give us a hint of what is in store for us today? Excellent. Thank you very much, Loki, for, for the introduction. And yes, today we're going to talk about contractor versus, versus owner. Uh, which is one of the most interesting dynamics that we have in our industry. And of course, we have really good friends here, Sarah representing PennDOT and Ed representing, I guess, a contractor in general. Obviously, we all know he works for Watman. So that's that's what we have. And yeah, it's going to be a very simple, very simple lineup. So we have three questions, right? As we said, three rounds. And and we can get it started. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if, if, if the contenders wants to say something about themselves just to, you know, prepare the stage before going into the fight. <laughs> Which Ed, is not going to be a fight, but, you know. <laughs> Ed and Sarah, let us know how pumped you are right now. <laughs> I think this could be fun. I've known Ed for a long time, and I think it'll be a really good and helpful conversation. I agree. So I can, it's a- yeah. Yep. Um, I can introduce myself, I'm Sarah McGinnis. I've been with the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation for 27 years, uh, 25 of those in the geotechnical unit and 13 of those managing the geotechnical program in uh, southeastern Pennsylvania, which is Philadelphia and the four surrounding counties. Um, I recently moved into the construction unit to fill up my toolbox, so to speak, and uh, I've been learning a lot on that side as well. Congratulations. Thank you. Ed? Uh, I'm uh, Ed Lazinski with Wagman Heavy Civil. Uh, I've been uh, doing design build subcontract work for geotechnical deep foundations for about 20 years now. Um, I'm the vice president of the foundation group at Wagman, and we're tasked with uh, kind of two different models, if you will. We're a general contractor. So we work for ourselves as a general contractor doing foundation work, excavation support. Uh, And we're also a subcontractor where we work for other general contractors in the heavy civil field uh, doing infrastructure work, but we also do wastewater treatment plant tanks, um, private work in downtown cities doing excavation support and deep foundations. So um, some, when we're a subcontractor are, industries are across the board and as a, a general contractor we're we're mainly uh, infrastructure thank you ed that's awesome um thank you so much sebastian uh thank you sarah and thank you ed so uh we are ready 
for the smooth or bumpy ride. Seat belts on. <laughs> Sebastian, take it away. Excellent. So, all right. So let's go to the first round. So let's let's do it this way. Obviously, it's not going to be that agitated, but the idea is this. I'm going to ask one question. So let's start with Sarah first. Uh, and then I'll, after I answer the question, Ed can, if you refute what she's saying, you have your right, but just wait until she's done and then we'll do the opposite. So the first question is very simple. Is in your mind, all right, excellent. The time starts. So in, in your mind, it, you know, in your mind, what are your roles, you know, for Sarah will be, what are your roles and responsibility and scope as the owner on a project? What do you think, or what do you see that is your roles and responsibility? That's a good question, Sebastian. Um, of course, I work for the Department of Transportation, so I'm the owner of infrastructure, not any private development or buildings. Um, so I've always seen my role as Number one, first and foremost, being a steward of the taxpayers' dollars. They're the ones who pay for every single project that we do, whether it's a state um, project or there's federal funding involved. And um, I've had the opportunity to go to speak to college students, and I always tell them, no matter who drives anywhere in the United States, some of their tax money might end up on a project in our area. So I always think about that first. Um, but when you're in project delivery, which is where I spent, you know, 25 years of my career, um, there was always basic three basic tenants, especially when it comes to geotechnical, safe, economical, and constructible. So um, can you repeat the question? Yeah, I was saying like in, in, your, in your opinion, you know, in your mind, what is your scope as the owner? What are your roles and responsibilities? So um, basically what I just outlined, um, we're there to make sure that projects are um, end up to be as safe as possible, that we don't have, God forbid, foundation failures, that um, we're optimizing our foundation design as we go through the process. Um, we're working with design consultants, we're working with municipalities, we're working with the federal government, um, and just to be responsible to the citizens um, so that they have something that as I said, not as only as safe as and um, economical, but to Ed's side is also constructible. We don't want to put anything out there that's mm -hmm. going to cause us headaches in construction because that un ends up often costing more than if we would have invested more time or effort on the design side. No, that's that's a perfect answer. That is a perfect answer. And obviously, I'm the referee on this one. I'm the consultant, which is really located between the two of you. So I completely understand your point and, you know, and I agree the way that you're presented. Do you have anything to refute on that, Ed? Or you're in agreement? Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I think uh, I completely agree with that. Um, Sarah said that she feels like she's the steward of uh, the tax dollars, which that's, I think, what I, what I see her needing to be. And uh, safe, economical, and constructible is also where we want to be as well. So, I mean, and so I think there's a lot of... Um, room in between the execution of those things no um, I, that's that's great i like the fact that we started smooth and we're very polite so <laughs> let's go now into it so same same question ed like if you can briefly kind of define what are your roles responsibilities scope and yeah and, and like the way that sarah was doing it right in, in in highlighting the priorities that she has on her role what will be your priorities so i mean i think ultimately um, in the scale of everything, uh, from 
50,000 feet or whatever is that we're a builder, right? We're going to be, no matter what we're doing, that's, that's our, our goal is to construct, you know, bridge, culvert, roadway, embankment. That's, that's ultimately what a contractor's job uh, is. Now, those responsibilities vary greatly depending on the type of contracting that you're going to do. There's obviously just bid build type jobs where uh, you have uh, completed plans, specifications, criteria that you're going to utilize to to build the project. But I think that um, the challenge, uh, in addition to some of the old challenges, we have new ones with the various degrees of contracting methods that we now have you know you have design build p3s and you i mean in my from my vantage point you have things even in between some of these uh sometimes the toll dollars are paying for some things sometimes they're not bonds are it's it it's uh it's pretty crazy some of the things so our responsibilities above being just a builder we could be a design builder we could be we could have a designer um ultimately that is working for us QAQC. Uh, there's a lot of different variations, but I think the important part of it is, is that ultimately what we are is a builder, right? We're going to construct um, the, hopefully what the owner wants us to. Um, and I think that is also part of the old and new challenge today is making sure we are building what uh, what's required, what the owner wants. So Excellent. Excellent. So Sarah, anything to, to refute there? I mean, or you also agree with Ed that that is kind of his roles and responsibilities? Um, he said something that struck me, what the owner wants, but also uh, what the owner needs. And I will admit that we're imperfect, especially given our, we have a approximately $700 um, million dollar construction program. I think we have $2 billion in active construction right now, just in District 6 in our five-county region. So imperfections are expected. And sometimes a good contractor, especially a good geotechnical contractor, might know how to do something differently or better. Um, And um, teamwork is going to be absolutely critical. Um, the, The other thing Ed said that really struck me was about how many different ways there are to do things these days. I mean, 50 years ago, it was really simple. Here's a set of plans, build it. They were drawn by hand. Um, So, you know, understanding the nuances of all the different methodologies of getting projects built and built in a way that is beneficial to both the owner and the contractor um, is a a whole separate skill set, separate from engineering, separate from finance, separate from building. Um, so I, I don't know if I'm refuting him, but um, I think we, we both have a really good understanding of um, what can be needed for a project to go well. No, no, I, I think I agree. I mean, I, the, the, you know, the delivery system, and, and as you mentioned, we have so many delivery systems these days that, that really facilitate different projects and the right fit for the right project. So I think on all that, we are we're in agreement. So let's just have a follow you know, a couple of follow-up questions trying to, to get into more sensitive topics. So the first one is, it's, this is all good, right? But uh, does anyone cares about Ed's profit? I mean, does the owner care about the profit that Ed does? Or for you, it's more like you just need a, a solution. And if he committed uh, with a bid, let's, let's just stay not with design build, but just with regular design bid build. 
he gave you a bid, right? And you assume that he thought, he looked at the plans, he looked at everything and he's good. Now, if, if he makes a profit, that's great for him. Obviously, you are not gonna really oppose. Uh, but if he's not making a profit, is that something that should concern you or that is his problem and next time he has to prepare better bids? <laughs> now you see, I'm going now a little bit, right? It has okay. to. <laughs> I mean, the short answer is no, we, we don't really care if he makes a profit. I thought but you were we going to say yes. <laughs> but we let me follow it up. Because all right, all right, also, keep going. We also 100% want to be fair. And we understand that if something goes wrong to the point where, you know, they're going to lose their shirt on a job, we negotiate. We absolutely do. You know, you know we have the 75, 125 rule when it comes yes. to quantities. Um, we also understand about unforeseen delay claims due to, you know, whatever might come down the pike. Um, so you know, we, we understand that sometimes contractors win and sometimes they don't. Um, but I, I don't think there's anybody in our entire construction unit who wants to be unfair to a contractor. So, you know, we, we don't, especially if they're good, if they're really good, we want to keep them in business because we want them to keep building things for us successfully. Yes. And, you know, if, if you are um, if you get a lot of jobs with the department, you know, we know the personnel, we know the staff, we know how to make things work so that the project gets done, it gets done on time, economically to the best of everybody's ability. That, that's an excellent answer. And, and of course, you know, I, I, I was surprised because I thought initially you were gonna say yes, but your follow-up is exactly what I thought. I mean, obviously we all want to, you know, the, the contractors to do good because otherwise we will lose them and, you know, yeah. that's going to hurt the industry in general. So I don't know, Ed, if you want to follow up on any, I mean, I don't think you're well, going to argue much what she was saying, but you, it's, well, it's a fair show. So you have your chance, yeah. right? I'm sure he is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think globally, um, the, all transportation departments recognize the, the need for contractors to be, economically viable to do the work mm -hmm. it they're they're not picking and choosing uh you know so they're what they're that's what they're trying to deliver now i would say you, the departments need to think about what they're incentivizing right so um i do think the time that we're in with bidding low bid type projects is can be a challenge because like Sarah was saying, you want to, I think you want to, you want the good contractors to be here. The challenge that we're, that I, that I see that we're running into is that there are in a low bid environment that jobs that are, may not be complete. Like, I mean, Sarah admitted she's not perfect. They're not perfect. So, <laughs> so, so there's, the, the problem is what you don't want is contractors taking advantage of an imperfect system to file change orders and um and enforce out contractors which i view ourselves as one that we we've been here for a very long time there, pennsylvania has a lot of very good contractors in my opinion and that, those are the ones you want to win the low bid system does not always provide that type of uh product though i mean you so i think that um 
making adjustments to it would be in the best interest of Pennsylvania. Um, because, you know, there's other, there's other systems out there where, uh, which aren't perfect either, but there is uh, scoring, voting. There's also, uh, you know, selecting the top three. Um, there's, there's a lot of different avenues. And I mean, I know maybe sometimes it gets a bad name, but best value, I think there is a reality to it. I, I you know, I, we, I feel like we, that's what we think we bring um, to that so that we, we can be fair. Uh, we can, uh, you know, kind of generate a, a team environment. So, I mean, I th- those are the challenges, though, to, uh, to staying in business is um, getting projects. No, no, um, that's, a, that's an excellent answer. That's that. an excellent answer. I mean, I mean keeping in, in mind we're still in the first round, which is kind of a scope, you know, a scope of, of, of the work of each and responsibilities. Uh, I guess this goes for you, Ed. In your mind, you know, it, let's let's take design build out of the question right now. We'll we'll go into that later. Sure. But if we are just with design build build, uh, based on what you say, let's say that you're doing a job and you got plans, you got specs, and and you start doing things. Uh, I guess the first is a is a two part question. The first one is, in your opinion, if you're going to just do design build build, who is responsible for you know, let's say the the specs, the details, and and all that? I mean, who is going to be Clearly, you are constructing at that point, far from design build. Who is going to be responsible for all this? The owner? Like if, if something goes different, let's say that you go to the field and you find some different condition, in your mind, the owner is immediately the responsible one. They need to pay you extra because this is not exactly what was there. Or, or how is your approach on things like that? Well, I mean, you just asked like three questions, but and this is uh, part one of a two-part yeah. question. <laughs> I, I mean, all you're all you're saying there there's a change, the bid build job. There's uh, a change um, in the field that may I'm assuming nobody anticipated. Um, of course, in a bid build job, we will will look to the owner for uh, for direction. However, I. In, in, in my process, I, I feel that's not always fair, especially when uh, to look to the owner when maybe you have a solution to some of these issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but the fact is, is that that is the bid build process. The plans are supposed to be complete. The spec is supposed to be complete. Um, and those, that's also what creates challenges in a bid build job is because the understanding is that uh, you're not the engineer and you're just the builder and you know it's you, you get plans that are wrong right you get specifications that that don't make sense and you know you ask rfis but sometimes you don't get answers so that is that typically becomes the challenge and and unfortunately i don't think that's going away right i think you're going to have specifications i think you're going to have drawings that are incomplete and that are that are wrong i think it's a question of what the owner and and the consultant and contractor do. Finally, after. somebody say the consultant. <laughs> I was waiting for the two of you to right. put the consultant was, in the middle. Because it was probably their fault. So you. Yeah, really I, I knew you were gonna go into that. Blame <laughs> the consultant, right? The only one that is. <laughs> but no, but I mean that's an excellent an excellent answer. But I guess the follow up on that for you, Ed, will be. 
you know, how do you do that process? I mean, I guess let's now get into, let's say that you saw something that in your mind as a contractor, right, is different, right? I mean, call it unforeseen conditions or, or, or call it, what will be your approach to let the owner know that things are different and what solution would you provide? Or, or what, I mean, maybe not the solution specifically, but what process for finding a solution would you provide? Well, I, I think the important part is on both sides to get together to understand and 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 I I believe to separate this is just my belief is that you should separate really the even the financial and contractual side of it uh, if it's contentious especially because ultimately what you want is like Sarah was saying you want something that's safe economical and constructible and and what you I think what you don't want is the owner or consultant to, to not talk to the contractor in trying to provide a solution uh, that might not be one of those things to, you know, uh, to the builder. So I think when that happens, contract, financial stuff, I understand if it's contentious that, that somebody needs to handle that. But, but that, does not, that does not change the fact that you still need a safe, economical, constructible system. And that's what you should be focusing on and as a, as a team, right? And it's up to the leaders on that project to separate those two things and, and come to a, a, a good solution and not off on an island. That's my opinion. Tara, you want to you know, comment on any of that? Um, I do, of course. Uh, I mean, Ed's right. The very first thing he should do is come directly to the owner and involve consultants if necessary, explain their side of things, because, you know, we don't always see eye to eye on differing site conditions. I've seen some pretty ludicrous <laughs> accusations of differing site conditions, but um, he's he's 100% right in that we, we, we want the job built too, you know? It's not like we want them hanging around for an extra year or two, um, you know, because we can't solve a problem. And I always appreciate, no matter what side it is, no matter who's at the table, um, solutions based discussion. You know, Ed says, I think this would solve our problem. Designer says, well, what about this? And owner says, well, what about a combination of the two? Or, you know, basically just working together um, to find the best solution that's in everybody's best interest because, you know, the, the owner cares about time, the contractor cares about time, of course, but we compensate them sometimes when time goes longer than it should be. So we care about time. We want the road open, especially down here. I mean, I just was at a meeting with the township this morning and, and they're like, everybody's gonna wanna know how long this closure is gonna cost, how long it's gonna last. That's, that's what people care about, being able to get to where they need to get to. So, you know, we want the job completed on time. We want it built right and well. And, you know, if something doesn't work out the way the contractor thought it would, they had an idea of building something, you know, slightly differently, which isn't out of spec or, or um, atypical, but they just wanted to do something a little differently and it doesn't work out, you know, you have to be reasonable and fair because if you're not, nothing gets done. I mean, Ed brought up the word contentious numerous times and the more contentious things get, the longer they take and the more they cost. So, um, you know, that's not quite a rebuttal. Again, I'm not really putting my dukes up here with Ed, but, um, 
No, but how things have to work out. And I want, as an owner, if a contractor says, this isn't what I expected, this isn't working, I want him to say, can I do it this way? Or should we try this? Or do you think if we spent, you know, an extra, I'll say on a $200 million job, an extra hundred thousand on some kind of geotechnical support, if that, that could help us get it done a month early, it's not unreasonable. So, you know, it's not like, no, we're, we're paying you. He, he hinted very directly at this. This is what we want you to build. This is how much we expect it to cost. And this is how long we expect it to take. Um, getting outside of that box, being flexible um, and also deliberate, uh, it, it just leads to success, even when things aren't going the way you expected. No, that, that is um, excellent. All right. Do you didn't have- get to the second part of your two-part question, did you? I know, I know. I keep. There's so many parts, I can't keep track. So many parts. It's all in this little chit chit. Um, all right, so that's round one, right? All right, so welcome to round two, right? We have time to refresh a little bit and, and get more thoughts in line. Uh, I mean, we all know this is not going to be a fight because we all work together and, and we I think we understand each other, right? And, and, and I guess really what I'm trying to promote here is a healthy discussion that maybe we consider points that we have not considered before and, and we can find ways to, to do things, right? That's what we're doing. So I think one of the main things that we discussed on the first round or what we can conclude, I don't think we explicitly say, but I'm, I'm sure we all felt it is communication is the key, right? If, if things start going wrong, I think Sarah said, Ed said, we need to communicate, right? And, and as a contractor, you need to communicate to the owner and say, hey, things are different. You may need to bring the consultant. And maybe as the owner, if you are not happy with certain things that the contractor is doing, you want to communicate that fast enough, right? So keeping in mind communication as the topic on our, on our second round, let's call it, um, let's just go with some examples. So let's start with you at this time, since the first round started with Sarah. Why don't you give us a good example of, of you know how communication was key or you know in this relationship between owner and contractor so let's start with a good example in your career i mean obviously just just leave all you know owners and, and names and project names and all that stuff out but just like just to illustrate the point okay um i i would say i mean one of if i was going to choose an example it's going to be a design build job is that okay? Am I allowed? Yeah, to- that's that's fine. And 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 maybe this is a little bit of the design build philosophy, I, I suppose. Um, and a lot of it has to do with it being um, self-contained. I mean, there's no we're not blaming the owner for anything. Just con- just the consultant. Um, <laughs> the, I, I but but. But what we know and what our contract says is that the owner doesn't care if it's the consultant's fault, right? So, I mean, I'm just, uh, and it to me, and a lot of it, obviously we're talking about the foundation world, what we do, it is very helpful because I do, I we end up working with people like you that we feel understand the risks and responsibilities of putting in an effective foundation system. And we can, and- a lot of it has to do with the fact that we communicate better as a team uh, in the, from what I've seen in the design build scenario, you just do you're you um, 
And if yeah, you, you are jumping to round three, you are jumping to round right, three. Right, right. So keep so some what, ideas for later. <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, uh, there's several examples where in the design build world, uh, we went out and did a load test and not a load test to verify, but a, a, a load test to find out, right? Hey, we don't know what it's going to do. Uh, let's put strain gauges. Let's do these types of things. Oh, it didn't turn out that way. Well, let's do another load test. And, but everybody's absorbing that type of information. Our designers are, we are. And at the end of the day, while it seems like we spent a lot of time and money up front, it paid off very, very well with a better schedule, a better product. And, uh, and everybody was happy, including, including the owner, right? The owner just stood by and said, well, you know, you know, this is your responsibility. We, you, you know, that the type of system, uh, foundation that you need to provide us and we're, we'll, we'll wait and see what you, you know, come up with. Um, and it's those types of scenarios that we're, you're able to work closely with a team of good engineers and, and, um, that, that you can, have ideas that aren't good and that can be relayed to the group and they can move on to the next idea that hopefully how are they going to be ideas that are not good if it was a design done by a consultant and it was reviewed by the department everything is fine right, right? that's right so i mean in, in it i think um it's uh it it's a good scenario that you can have that type of open conversation with the consultant um, and, and we've had this on bid build jobs, I should admit, and, and, is, and, and that's only because it was facilitated by a good owner or a good owner project manager that understood that there was benefits to having open lines of communication. Um, I, that, and all those types of jobs that we have had um, have gone very well. And even, and it's not just about money, it, I, uh, it's also about reducing risk, right? I mean, maybe... Some people look at uh, a little bit of money to reduce a lot of risk makes a difference or a little bit of money to increase the schedule also makes a big difference. So, I mean, I, we've had a lot of those projects and a lot of it, like I say, are design build projects, but I think to some degree from my standpoint, a lot of them facilitate better, uh, better coordination and better communication across the board. No, that's 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 a good example. I mean, we, we will go a little more into that in, in round three on, on the line of communication. But okay, so before we go to Sarah, I have one question for you, Ed, and you only have one second to answer it. If you don't answer it in one second, not even answer it. So the question is, it's any job in the world better design build than any other system? Yes or no? Wait, repeat the question. It's all right. You are buying extra seconds. Any project should be design build. Yes, no. Yes. Okay, that's all I needed. And that's kind of what I felt. And you will have your chance to explain why in, in, in the next round. Just, just okay. hold that there. So Sarah, let's just rewind a little bit. Let's go back to the example. And why don't you tell me an example that is unacceptable in case of, of communication that something went wrong. Don't mention any names of contractors, but something that you see that the contractor did something unacceptable, that communication was not followed that they, they may, I don't know, maybe they took advantage of, of, of things that should have brought to your attention or, or things like that. 
I have plenty of examples, but you are the one answering the question. I, I'm, I'm going to keep it really simple. When a contractor doesn't know how to interpret, it, interpret the subsurface investigation information, um, what's provided in the boring logs and the lab testing data that we give them, uh, to me, that's inexcusable. And it's no excuse for a claim, whether it's delay or financial or otherwise. Um, so you were... Um, were you? Do you want a successful example? You said unacceptable. Yes, yes. I, I, I love. I, I love your. I love your, trick. your answer. It was a trick. It was a trick, but I, I do love your your answer because I think, uh, and I'm, I'm sure Ed can elaborate on that. But yeah, stuff of that nature. I think we all recognize that it's an acceptable practice, right? I, I don't think. I think we're fortunate enough that we don't have that many problems. And I want to see the reaction of Sarah when I say we don't have that many problems. I see a little smile coming up. But I don't think we have that problem that often with, you know, with very competent companies like, like it, right? I mean, they are not going to come to you with, you know, like dubious interpretation of things and saying that, right? Uh, but, but it's good that you put it out because I think it's something that we all think about. I myself have been involved in situations where you say, Sarah, that I have to side with the owner and say, this is not the responsibility of the owner. This is just the contractor. They just need to do a better job. Uh, but I mean, as any industry, we have a spread between really good contractors and, and not so good contractors. But yeah, if you want to follow up with an acceptable one, I mean, something that you feel oh. that brought a lot of value, you know, that the contractor brought a lot of value on something that probably was a change on, on what initially thought. Um, I, I'm just going to follow up on what I said earlier, because it, it made me laugh. We had a huge contractor bid on a job with lateral squeeze who didn't believe in lateral squeeze and didn't include the quarantine period in his bid. <laughs> it didn't work out so well. Um, but acceptable, I, I think, um, especially the, the big contractors that do our really big projects like our I-95 sections and 202s and Route 1s and all that, um, having somebody either with 20 or more years of experience or somebody with a geotechnical background. Um, because they can, they, the contractors look at plans in a different way from designers and even in a different way from owners in the construction unit. And being able to look at something and say, I know a way to do this better or faster or more efficiently um, that I don't think other contractors are going to think of making it more cost effective for everyone and um, maybe more profit for the contractor is really valuable and advantageous. Um, just the experience in, in having um, had things go wrong before and been mm -hmm. able to successfully work them out, I think is really important. Um, a specific, one of our contract, one of our larger contractors um, has some significant projects, 150 to $250 million projects and the geotechnical experience of some of the people on their team has been valuable um, in maybe changing the way things are done or looking at things a little differently. So um, that's basically it in a nutshell. It's just experience or a little geotechnical or a lot of geotechnical background. All right. Ed, do you have anything to add there? I, the only thing is what I brought up last time is I, I agree with Sarah. I think the key for the owner is to incentivize that type of uh, behavior and and it's hard to do in a low bid environment right um so if, if there's ways to do it i you know i think that's what we would support 
Yeah, and you know, Pandot's not real big fans of design build, um, unless it's... Oh, let's save it. Let's save it for the third oh. round. You guys keep saying the magic word design build. Well, I, I was actually going to bring up value engineering, but you, maybe you want to talk about that in the third round too. Yes, that's when we're going into, into all that. But I guess just to close on this part, Sarah, one second for your answer. Should every job go design build? No. No. All right. That's good. At least we got some disagreement there, right? Don't you want to know why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. I was celebrating before passing, but yeah, now you can go. Um, we have so many projects that are so straightforward and basic and relatively simple that doing a design build probably wouldn't result in enough economy of time okay. and or resources. Um, you know how many box culverts we put in? I mean, we could do them in our sleep. Having a design build, we're paying, we're paying for design during design, and then we're paying for design during construction. Let's just pay for design during design and put the box culvert in, put the sidewalk in, add the lane, you know, put the little retaining wall in. I mean, the the bread, like for a, a huge, massive geotechnical project, there might be really good value in design build aspects of it or leaving specifications with enough latitude so that the contractor can come up with the most effective solution. It's like um, the vertical inclusions. So mm -hmm. you, can, you can do this or this or this or this. And then depending on the contractor and depending on their design, we're getting the best value because they know what's most effective and efficient. We mm -hmm. don't, we could try to guess, but we don't put them in every day. So. All right, and then right before we pass it back to back to Loki, I'm gonna do one question. This one doesn't require an explanation. I just need an answer from each of you and you have two seconds to think about it. So Sarah, I'm gonna say it very slow because I don't want to repeat it, right? So in your mind, not it, I'm not talking about it. I'm talking a general, general, you know, contractor or, or a specialized contractor, but very generic part. Do you feel on your day-to-day -day job that most contractors look at you as they know better than you on the projects they are doing? Yes yeah. or no? No. no. All right. All right. Now let's turn it back to Ed. Ed, do you feel that in any project, you know, in, in most projects that, that you do, not with Pendor, again, different owners could be private. Do you feel that, let's say, let's include the consultant. Do you feel the consultant and the owner feel that they know more than you, but you actually know better than them? Yes. Yes. All right. That's the answer that I wanted. I will not <laughs> accept anything less from you than that because we have worked together for a while and I'm not saying that it's a bad answer. I think that it takes a lot of guts to say that, but you should stick with that philosophy, right? So Loki, after all this, I pass it to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know, a few bruises here and there uh, for Ed and Sarah, but uh, no blood spilled yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I like, I really like how the conversation is flowing so organically. And I love the chemistry between Ed and Sarah. Um, it, it shows that you have worked for a long time together and, uh, you know, um, and uh, in our industry, you know, uh, there is certain amount of uh, trust that you have to build around your uh, clients, right? So to build that trust, it takes a long time and uh, we can see that how much Ed and Sarah have worked together and they trust each other's opinions and they also disagree on certain things, but uh, for a reason, for a reason of, uh, you know, of the project or whatever it was based on the project. So 
I really like all the things that you both talked about, uh, you know, uh, starting with Sarah, like, you know, you explained what exactly is important um, on any project uh, you think about, you know, it has to be safe, optimizing the project, ec economical, right? That's what the number one thing that you look at after, after being safe um, and uh, responsible to citizens and constructability, which is a big thing, which is a big thing. A lot of projects miss that. And when you miss that, it's a, well, not very comfortable situation for anyone, you know, involved. So I really liked it. And um, also, you know, in the third round, I would like to hear a little bit more about uh, low bid environment. Oh, um, we are going into that. Yeah. No worries. Yeah, because, you know, as a manufacturer and supplier, I work for a manufacturer and supplier and, uh, uh, you know, we come to the equation, we are a very small part of the equation, but also like even when we come in, it's very hard for us to understand, well, the contractor there are, we are working with a contractor who may not be the low bidder, but when the low bidder is selected, you know, the things that has to happen are the things that don't happen. You know, I would like to um, hear both your perspectives on it and what the government agency will have to go through if things go downturn right? Things go downturn because the low bidder was chosen for whatever reasons. Um, so that would be very nice. Um, I, I love the conversations though. Um, I'm really enjoying this. And I think our listeners are going to really get a lot of valuable uh, information from this. <laughs> awesome job, Sebastian. Spirit. Thank yeah. you. Waiting Thank for you. the third round. Go for it. Yes. Yes. All right, so welcome to the third round, uh, also the final round. So I think it's been a very good conversation. We have definitely seen some interesting points, uh, especially at the end of the last round. I think we're we're making some good progress into disagreements there. But no, I mean, I, I think it's, it really sets the tone for the, for the third round because basically what I want to explore now is, you know, project delivery systems. And, and obviously, uh, I think we may, the three of us may see things a little different. So let's start with Sarah uh, this time. So Sarah, if you want to just give us your perspective, you know, into the different delivery systems in terms of we have design, bid, build, then we have design, build. Uh, I don't know, maybe not completely a, a deliverable system, but let's talk a little bit about value engineering. For the owner, what do you think is the most cost-effective solution? As an owner, what do you feel you should be looking as the as the right, you know, like as the right delivery system that you prefer. Sebastian, you know that's project dependent, <laughs> and I think <laughs> I think as owners we have to think about think about it that way. I mean, but, that, but that's acceptable. That's I mean, you it could be that is not the perfect delivery method for every single project. I that, I, I take that right. Um, and and I think you know I was going to talk a little bit in the last session about. I mean, I, I only have my experience working for one DOT. Ed's probably worked with a dozen um, and everybody does things different way. I know, for example, New Jersey does a ton of design build and it works great for them. Um, I think what we do have in our pocket, may or may not be the right word at, at the department is a, is a pretty, um, a pretty high tolerance for value engineering. And that's where that last question you asked, it kind of poked me because, you know, Ed gave a different answer. Um, but I think that's, that's a, it's a perspective thing. Um, I'm sort of losing my train of thought here a little bit, but 
Ah, um, uh, don't worry. I'll, I'll I'll get you back. So I mean, I I know where you're going because right. You know, he was basically saying that he feels that he knows better than the consultant and they said, and, and, and I'm not taking it an offensive manner. And I think, Ed, I don't <laughs> think you, I don't think that you express it that way. I, I think the way that you express it is because the tools that you have and you refer back to the testing and all that, what you are saying is, right. if I get into the job, I can gather enough information that I could know more than the consultant and the owner because I have access to maybe new information from the site itself that I can give you a better answer, right? So I think what you were going, Sarah, was kind of going on, on the, you know, not, not going exactly in that question, but maybe going towards saying that the different delivery systems that also depends on what the contractor can do, right? right. My, my point is that Ed builds things for a living. So he knows mm -hmm. the best and easiest way to build things given any given subsurface profile or site constraint condition. And I feel like it's, you know, an 11 year old can pick out the color that they want to paint their room, but you can't give them the paintbrush to do it. So it's the more experience you have doing anything. I mean, Ed's got a very valid point. The, the more experience you have, the more you're gonna know than the people who sit at their computers and drop their CAD files and come up with their ideas. Um, so there is a huge gap there in knowledge and experience between consultants or even owners and contractors. So his his answer, I don't think is unfair um, at all. No, no, I, I mean, I think, well, one thing that I put as a caveat is yes, but he's gonna be biased on what he does, right? I mean, as amazing and he is, right? He doesn't do all the products and all the technologies that the market offers. So he's gonna tell you what is better for him Right, but that doesn't mean that the rest of the industry cannot provide something that he doesn't do that could be a better. That's what I know more than you. You see it. Well, that's what the consultant well they, knows better. <laughs> uh, they haven't started putting bridges on stone columns or, or heel clankers yet. Wow. Okay, that that's that's good. That's a good. That's Ed, a good comeback. But Ed, hey, don't this, think don't think I haven't tried to bring it up. Don't think I haven't gone there. Exactly. But you know, we can't get. We can't exactly. get there. You can start well, talking I feel about like I'm about with the eleven-year-old with the paintbrush. <laughs> <laughs> you see, now we're getting into the need and greed. So, but but that, that's a good point. I mean, I think it's we all think these things, right? And then we, as friends, we can comment because I think it's important that we also are proud on what we do and we have the confidence to to say it. But I guess one follow-up on your on your on your point, Sarah, will be: if that is the case, then why don't we just go? as Ed was saying, and do everything design build and let the let the contractor pick up what they know and do it the way they want. I mean, as the owner, you can say, well, I want the room to be pink. I don't really care how you do it as long as you give me a pink room. What will be the problem on doing that approach? There's there's a lot of risk from the owner's side, which I know both of you are, and probably everybody who's listening is, is well aware of. And by doing as much as we do in design, you know, we're we're eliminating some of that risk because the more, so as, as a practitioner of geotechnical engineering who works for the government and is a steward of everybody's dollars, if I let a job go to construction without an adequate subsurface investigation for the contractor to have data to bid fairly on, I have failed. Mm -hmm. So that, I think that perspective applies across a lot of different elements um, from the owner's perspective. 
you know, we might say we want the wall to be 30 feet high and the, the contractor's like, well, I can build it 20 feet high for less and put it in a different place. And, and well, well, you know, what are the risks that we take on allowing them to do things their own way? And how do we, how do we manage that risk when things do go wrong? I mean, I think that's the key. I mean, I think you just pointed exactly on the risk part, right? So I, I don't know, Ed, if you want to, to kind of counteract yeah, a little bit so on the risk, how you manage it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would say that uh, Sarah, I, I, I agree with Sarah's opinion about the, like the example of the box culvert that it gets done over and over again, but, and they're, and they're successful uh, because they have a system around it that they can be consistent and they are able to do the same thing over and over again uh, and get the same and get a good outcome. So what I'm saying is part of the design build discussion is changing the system, right? Um, it, 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 and not maybe functioning exactly like design build functions because as it functions right now in Sarah's example, she's hundred percent, right. It would be more expensive. And that's, that's part of one of the problems that I think needs to be understood. And part of it is a risk problem. And that is why it's more expensive from a design build. So that's a hundred percent correct. I, I think that, um, that that's why more of a systematic change is, would be what you would need to, to, to see the benefits economically and performance-wise. You are the most polite person, man. Since the day that I met you, like 10 years ago, you are always probably more than that, more than 12. <laughs> but since, since I met you, you are the best person to walk around the issue and de deliver a message without what? really making offensive. No, I mean, it, it's, it's a great point, but it all goes down to this. And, and, and Ed, it's another one of those two second questions. And yes or no, is what we have right now in most projects in Pennsylvania, a true design build, yes or no? A true design build, yes or no? No. No, exactly. And man, you keep answering the way that I wanted to answer because I think you're pointing yeah. into that. What is, a, I mean, I work a lot in design build, correct? And, and I do on, on both sides, I do foundation guidance reports and I also do reports with the contractor. And, and part of what I think is that the design build, the way that is envisioned and going back into SARA, it has a lot of risk because it's not planned the proper way. So I guess, Ed, I will serve it in a trade writer for you to explain us why, you know, is not a true design build. How can we do it differently? So it really goes back into a true design build. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of states that do design build. And, and I think the pro one of the problems is it's the design build that I've been involved with in Pennsylvania can be too constrictive. Uh, because of what they what they envision for the project, um, I don't think it's intentional or anything. I, I, but it, I think it's a process that needs to be ironed out in Pennsylvania to to truly capture the benefits. I think in a lot of cases, uh, some of the design build stuff, um, and that it gets it it does get done across the state. So it's not always uh, this isn't totally fair. But what I'm the, the problem is, is that you, your two sides are kind of paying for the risk sometimes because it's, it, the contractor isn't able to um, do everything that they, that they think they should be able to do under a design build contract. 
Um, and that's a, and that's a challenge. So I, I think some of the value is, is lost is what I'm saying. Um, and I think that's what needs to be worked on. Um, and I, I think a lot of, and it's tough. A lot of the systems in Pennsylvania are set up for design build, the standards, all the, all the things that they have are, are very prescriptive um, because it's how they, they, they specifically want it done. And that becomes a challenge to design build. Uh, certainly the economics of it become a challenge, right? So um, where you could argue, not that like it's, there's a lot of other states and they do it differently uh, and they're all different. Um, but I think developing a consistent format for a lot of these things, um, you, you, there's more benefits, like just specifications in general should be more basic and more coincide more with Ashto. Not that I love Ashto, but everybody, everybody understands it. Everybody, like everybody understands it. it it's a yeah. common, common ground. But, but some of the, I think the problem can be when there's a lot of 30 pages of, of, for one thing of special provision of all the things that you're not allowed to do, it can be challenging. Um, so it, there's just work that needs to be done to it. Um, I, I think for, for you, for to see the benefits of it. That, that's um, a lot of good information there, Sarah, you want to talk about it? I mean, do you agree with everything it said or you? disagree on something you know that's a really difficult question to answer Sebastian I, I was thinking about I mean Ed was talking about risk um, he's he was also sort of dancing around the fact that Penn Pennsylvania loves to do things the way we've always done them because it basically works um, so he he said earlier a systematic change does, does that mean baby steps or does that mean we pick one job and you know, like a, a huge job, a $50 million job, and we do the whole thing design build and see how it works out. The problem is there's no comparison, there's no baseline. So we don't know how well that job would have gone if we had designed it and you had just built it. Um, and I think that's a really hard thing for, uh, I mean, I don't wanna speak for PennDOT and I hope nobody listening thinks that I am talking for uh, speaking for all the wonderful people who run our organization, but I think it's it's an obstacle um, sometimes. And I've had luck overcoming obstacles by sort of doing things outside the box. Like I mentioned, um, being liberal with a special provision that allows six different things as an option. It might be a little prescriptive for Ed, but you know, you can do it six different ways. Well, if Wagman wants to do it the seventh, I'm sorry. Um, or if Wagman wants to do it the seventh way, maybe we do a VE. And he talked earlier also about incentive. So, you know, if, if, we do, if we're not doing design build and, and they know how to do something better and more cost effectively, the department shares that cost 50-50, the cost savings from any value engineering proposal. And, um, I feel like we're fairly open-minded to that. So, you know, as an alternative to just systematically changing the way we do business and going to design build, we do have mechanisms in progress for contractors to have some latitude to do things differently and also share in the savings. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you say, Sarah, because obviously, again, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of the two of you 
doing design builds with both of you and also doing regular design build, right? Uh, I mean, I, I think there are, there are certain things that, you know, it has to go through the rigorous process and the specs and, and, and think that probably things that Ed hates, but you also have to keep in mind Ed, that not every contractor is as good as you are, right? And, and some projects may end up on different. I mean, we don't, you know, there is the difference between saying like the cheapest solution compared to the best or, or more value solution, right? Not always cheap is good. And I think the risk that you go for more than I love design build, I completely understand, you know, like pen dot point of view of saying, yeah, there is certain things we can let go like that. There are certain things that we can't, um, you know, and, and, and it's a, it's a, it's a complicated situation and I'm sure we can spin it for hours because it will be, you know, it will be different angles, but in the spirit of moving on, let's go to value engineering because I think both have kind of addressed that. Um, I'm a little surprised in the sense, Sarah, that you are talking about value engineering as a positive thing. I mean, I'm not saying that it's a negative. What I'm saying is when you when you do a lot of value engineering, well, that just shows that systematically you may be not doing, uh, and, and I will blame the consultant on that case. If let's say that if agency A has every single project going to a value engineering, well, the yeah. consultant that agency A is hiring definitely is not doing the best job because otherwise it should not go to value engineering. So, uh, you know, it, it's it, please explain us more, Sarah, why why you feel that value engineering has such a positive view in 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 your as the owner, right? Well, first of all, I've seen it used very successfully to um, accomplish things that never would have been permitted during design. There, okay. there, there, there's nothing in the design manual that covers the situation. We've never done it before. Um, it's, it's different. I'm unfamiliar with this material or this application. Um, and the, the design, the value engineering process is, is different. It allows people to not dismiss things out of hand. If a contractor is proposing it, he better have confidence that he's going to be able to do it. And he should, because either he's done it before, or he knows it's going to work, or he's done the homework. Um, it's just not something. And like I said, we're an, imp everybody's imperfect. Maybe there's something we didn't think of that a contractor with a lot of experience or experience doing things that we don't normally do would think of and say, hey, we can do this differently and it can be more effective. And my the, the other thing, there was three points, I can only remember two right now, but the other thing is that because of those value engineering um, programs that we've done, I as an owner now know that we have more alternatives and then they mm -hmm. get incorporated into our vernacular and our alternatives analysis and our options. I mean, we never would have done column supported embankment ever if we hadn't pushed it with loose specs in design and then letting the contractor do it and then showing how great it was and how well it worked. Now we're looking at doing it lots of different places. So it, it's a method to get something permitted, allowed and approved and built that increases our, fills our toolbox, so to speak, mm -hmm. or in, increases our assessment of options during design. So it does circle back, or at least I always tried to make sure it did. No, I, I love the fact that you describe it like that. And I think it has a really positive light on that. Uh, I have been on the side of the coin of trying with a contractor to do value engineering and feeling that the owner is basically putting anything and maybe not the owner, but maybe the consultant from the owner, the one that did the original design and always is reviewing our value engineering. They are trying to put every single problem they can 
because it becomes an, a thing of ego, right? It's basically saying, well, you, you feel that you know better than me. And, and I mean, I have expressed it on meetings and saying, I'm just trying to tell you, you can do things this way and it's better, but obviously if you're not ready to move on from what you said, we all make mistakes or maybe we look at things differently, mm-hmm. we're not gonna get any places. And I mean, I have done some value engineering that at the end, we probably end up costing the same as the other one, just because of the number of resubmissions and the process the contractor end up going. So I love the fact that you look at that way in a, in a, positive, in a positive context. So mo- moving to Ed now, uh, is any value engineering a missed opportunity that it was a design build and the owner just screwed it up, put it as a bad thing, by not doing design build and now you're doing a value engineering because you should have done a design build before? Is that the case of every design build, of every value engineering? Uh, to be honest, I don't think I've ever really looked at it that way. Uh, I've looked at design <laughs> I build. I was trying to completely- push you, man, but you didn't fall for it. Being completely, like a completely different uh, system. Now, now there's, lot, there's lots of bid, uh, bid build jobs where the foundation is like design build, right? Uh, that's mm-hmm. kind of a, it's not really a new thing, but um, so the, the value engineering, I, I think is more targeted, right? There's clearly something that uh, we think we can, we can uh, improve upon, right? And, and I think, uh, like I said, uh, I mean, Sarah's absolutely right. I mean, I think, and I think PennDOT is successful because they have people like Sarah, right? I mean, they, they can see the opportunity, they understand the benefits and the risks associated with some of these proposals and they're able to successfully complete them. Uh, so I, I, from my perspective, VE is very targeted, uh, but it, it's very valuable as the name implies uh, because, because you, a lot of times it, it's, there might, there might actually even be a problem, right? And you're able to use a value engineering to solve that problem. Um, you know, I get it. I mean, it, look, we all want more borings and a better subsurface investigation. And we like, I recognize it doesn't happen, right? I, I mean, and it's not easy, but sometimes you get on a job when there is a change because there wasn't a boring, maybe they, were, they weren't able to get the rig where it was or for, for some reason. And, and this is a, it's a perfect opportunity to do value engineering that get, literally gives both value for what you're doing. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I think those are targeted good opportunities. And I, I think the more you can set those up, uh, the, it benefits both. No, it, it is great. I mean, obviously, you know, Talking on complete honestly, you know, it, it, we do a really good job, and and Sarah does an amazing job on on Pender, and, and I mean, I have completed projects with her, and you know, she the open mind that she has, and you know, like what she would describe in terms of allowing different things, and 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 keeping obviously rings value, and I I know you Ed, and we also have worked together in many projects, and you guys also do a really good job, even bringing things that maybe you know as a consultant we didn't saw before, and and I mean, I have plenty of examples on low test on micropiles and things like that, that we have done together, that you have brought extra value that honestly, I didn't thought before, right? So we all learn from each other. And I think that's the that's the spirit of the communication Thanks. and do things better, right? So that is the reality, right? I'm gonna try to spice this up just because we have a show, but but the reality, I don't want to take my next question into that without that, that, that frame. Uh, the, the reality is that we do a really good job and we bring a lot of cost-effective solutions for the department and, and you know, for the public and, and everything. But 
But unfortunately, even though we are so awesome, all of us, so sometimes things don't go the right way, right? And, and you have to go into claims. And obviously claims is what we all want to avoid. Nobody wants to hear anything about design error or anything like that. But as a contractor, you also don't want to lose money on a job, right? So I guess let's start with you, Ed. In the, in the topic of claims, first of all, how often do you have to go for claims percentage-wise in your projects? And second, uh, how is the process? Just describe us the process that you go when you have a claim. How, how does that go? And typically how it ends up being resolved from your end. Or you can say, it's all awesome. I never go for a claim. Well, I, I don't, I think the, I don't understand the definition of maybe the, what you're saying. Ah, walking there, walking there. On the so, so I, I'm I mean, saying a claim when you come back well, and say, you know, I need more money because you guys screwed up on design and this is not what I give you a bit for. I want more money. And if you don't pay me, I'm going to take you to court. So to be honest, I think those are, there's separate things that you're talking about. Okay. Okay. Right? Let's break there's, them. Let's break them. Let's so break. this is what you have to understand, I think is like the claim process is, and it, the legal claim process is a nasty one. It's horrible. And we ne it almost never comes to that. Okay. And, and that's exactly what I want to go. So keep going that line. Yeah. So it, it almost never comes to that. And because, I mean, well, that's one of my goals to prevent that, right? I mean, it's, mm -hmm. and it, it does have to do with communication and work together. How often is there a change on a job? I mean, like every job, there's some kind of change. It could be small. <laughs> I wanted but, that I mean, answer. <laughs> But I mean, it's, I mean, it, it, it'd be foolish to say that we're like, oh, every job, there's never a change. I mean, we do look at what we do. I mean, yeah. it's, it, I mean, it does come down to what's the scale of it, but ultimately, uh, especially in the, in the public world, I mean, I, I try to air everything uh, prior and up to the pre-con meeting of my concerns about the project. And, and so that everybody can be thinking about what possible solutions we may or may not need to think about, because it's just a reality. So the idea is the, the more you open channels of communication, the more you don't ever go to a claim. Do we sometimes get extra money for stuff that nobody anticipated? Yes. I mean, it just, but, but we save money because we bring it, because you bring it to them upfront as soon as possible yeah. and not, Halfway in, oh yeah, all this stuff's wrong, by the way. Uh, we might need to fix it. That, that's not what you wanna do. You I, wanna I do respect your answer a lot because I mean, I think, man, I was really trying to put you something to sleep on it and you don't. You are the ultimate Houdini to find the way out. So I, I think you broke it immediately by saying two things, right? The legal process going then into the court and all that. And then the fact that things are different, right? And I mean, I think we all have to agree that it, it will never be enough subsurface investigation if we just keep doing borings and things like that. I mean, it's just the nature of our job, right? It just, things are due, things are bound to be different. And, and I think the key is what you say, the process is bringing that early, right? Bringing that early and, and discuss it. And there are things that are gonna be different and they, be, I, they need to be recognized by the owner, right? That are different. And we'll go in a second for you, Sarah, on that point, but, I mean, I have been, you know, all, all full disclosure, I have been with you on potential claims, right? That you guys are coming and saying there is things there. And we have been in endless meetings with experts. And I'm very proud to say that none of those actually end up going into any legal action because right. are things that are discussed, things that are recognized by the owner, by the designer, by, by everyone. And it's like, yeah, what is fair is fair. And everyone wants, you know, if, if the contractor actually has to go into some things that were not planned initially, they have the right and they should be compensated, right? 
And at the same time, if there is something that we feel that the owner is not responsible for that, that it was something on the means and methods of the contractor, then that's something that the contract should not be compensated. So, so that, that, that is a good answer and you walk it on, on that line. So now going to you, Sarah, on the same subject on, on the claims. Uh, I mean, do you, do you deal with claims that, you know, keeping this separation, do you deal with claims that often are absorbed or something like that? And then how do you handle it? I mean, how, how is the process of the owner Obviously, when you get some kind of, let's say, accusation or some kind of complaint, well, there is a process, right? There is a process of first trying to evaluate and say, does this have merits or not? And if it has merits, then I may need to go this, go to the consultant or, or go to, I don't know, go to a bigger level on, on your organization or, or something like that. Uh, how do you determine that? How do you determine what has merits and what doesn't? And if you want to give us examples. Well, I, I, the first thing I'm going to say is being deposed is just about one of the worst things I've ever had to experience. <laughs> so I've, I've gone all the way there only with one particular project. But to Ed's credit, he can air his concerns up until the pre-con. Um, but it is it should still remain understood that things might not be the way we anticipated until you actually start digging that hole or installing that foundation. And the, the process is, you're exactly right. It's what, what would this have cost us, you know, say, say we need, know, hypothetically, 20 extra piles. I mean, that's a kind of a ridiculous mm -hmm. example, but say that, say that happens. Um, you know, if, if we would have designed it correctly, what would the cost have been? Uh, what's fair to pay the contractor for the extra material that's needed and who figured out? That we needed the extra piles and who paid for the design for that. So it's um, during the last question, Ed brought something up and it continues to just circle through my mind. And he didn't use these exact words, but he talked about fixed thinking. And I feel like in order to be, in order to successfully have relationships with anyone in any kind of business with unknowns, you have, you, you can't have that. You have to be flexible, fair, and reasonable. Um, you know, a contractor asks for $1.5 million and you think 300 is reasonable. Well, let's put lay everything out on the table, talk about what claims are valid, what are our responsibility, what were yours, um, what went wrong, mate, what went wrong with design or not with design, or you know, did you was there, you know, I don't want to use the word accident, but you know, something went wrong. Um so, you know, it is a very step-by-step -step process and you might have up to 20 meetings before you resolve any given issue. You might have one. Um, you know, there's an example, uh, there was a, it was, it was a claim, there was a settlement and the, what we ended up paying the contractor would have been what we paid the second lowest bidder. So, you know, you can almost reconcile things in that way. There's so many different factors. Um, in how you resolve any given situation. I mean, we had to deal with COVID claims on almost every single project. And interestingly, you know, the, the delays affected a lot of projects, but when we were grouting on the Schuylkill Expressway, we were actually able to close the expressway and grout during the day rather than doing it at night. Yeah. So that helped us and the contractor be more efficient, get more work done in a shorter period of time and save money. So, you know, it's a balancing act.
I'm very glad you mentioned the COVID part because, yeah, I mean, a lot of the projects that we work, it was going that direction, right? That is, you know, seek up here in Pittsburgh because of COVID, like the traffic was less and it was easier to close and, and do things that normally don't. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying that on that project, but when you hear sometimes that, you know, they're claiming COVID, you know, it's like, it's actually the opposite, right? It should work in your favor. But, right, yeah, and so if they I, were, oh, go ahead, time's up. Time's up. Well, actually, I was going to wrap it up because I think we, we talk everything we, we could. Uh, I absolutely appreciate both inputs. I think uh, it's interesting. It's a discussion. I think both of you do phenomenal work, right? A phenomenal job. And that's the reason that we wanted to have you here because I think you represent your industry. Each one represents the owner and you know the, the contractor in a really good way. I mean, we know that we are talking to, to the best of the best. And, and I think it's a very constructive discussion. I think a lot of the items remain open and will always remain open right uh but that's that's the reason that we need those discussions to see the future i still believe we're in really good hands as as long as we keep working for owners like you sarah i think the industry keeps growing and as long as we have contractors like it then things are gonna get better and better and obviously we need consultants like me to be in the middle and 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 do everything too so that's all i have i don't know if you have any remarks to close sarah and and it and on anything if you want to talk about in general, whatever. <laughs> well, I think you as a consultant, Sebastian, deserve just as many accolades as you're giving us <laughs> right now, because I have worked with you and you're right. It's about working together and understanding everybody's perspective. Thank you. Now, this was, this was really a robust discussion. I really liked the thir- uh, third round, uh, which was piggybacked on one and two. And you know, the perspectives from Ed as a general contractor on value engineering, design build, you know, how much he values design build, (laughs) Uh, you know, and uh, value engineering from your side, Sarah, I mean, you can see why the perspective changes, right? right? Like how you value it and how you see it and how Ed sees it as a contractor Uh, definitely can speak volumes and the points that you made with respect to risk management and also with respect to claims, you know, um, I think this is very, very valuable for the listeners, you know, thinking about it, like it doesn't matter. You're a consultant contractor or a subcontractor who is working for a, a, you know, government agency and as a a manufacturing supplier also like, you know, um, there is a lot that we can do as together and as Ed said, you know, communication is best when it is as a team. And this is proven many, many times, right? Communication, uh, when there is no transparency and communication uh, gaps, then you see the project fall through and who suffers, everyone suffers, yep. you know? So um, this was great conversation. Um, I have one question for both of you <clears throat> to uh, end this. Um, for the younger listeners who are listening, um, you know, if they have to walk the career path of both of you, what things do they have to do to get where you are? Sarah, I, I want you to go first. Well, the number one is obvious, get your license, learn your field. Um, you know, don't, you don't have to get a master's degree, but a few extra classes never helps, but practice, practice, practice. And aside from the obvious of getting your license, get out in the field. Go out and do as much reconnaissance as you can. Be on the drill rig for years if you have to. I mean, I served my time. Um, And then go out and watch things be constructed and have the conversations with contractors about what works and what doesn't work. That is where I learned the most about 
putting a package together that a contractor can build is by talking to the guys that build it and the guys that oversee building it or gals of the people. Um, it's a little more diverse these days than it was when I started. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, a network, talk to people who are on different projects, reach out to someone. Hey, I heard you were on this really great project. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Something, you know, that I might be able to learn from. Um, networking is great. And um, just don't be a fixed thinker. Understand that the, the information you have here is not the same information one feet or a hundred feet away. Be open-minded and um, just try to do your absolute best. And as, yes. as speaking from the owner's perspective is um, just understand that you're essentially a civil servant at, at your core. You are there to do the best for everyone that you represent. Thank you, Sarah. That was wonderful. Ed? Uh, I mean, I'll echo the same uh, sentiment is uh, get your boots dirty. Um, and and uh, I kind of mean it in more ways than one. I mean, getting out in the field and understanding how things actually get done ex is extremely important. But it's also in the design world. Like, uh, don't pass things up. Give them a shot. Try doing it. Um, be involved uh, at every aspect. Um, I think that's the, the best you can do. Um, I think from a, for a contract, I think it's a, I think it's a difficult job. Uh, I think the jobs that we have aren't easy. Uh, but I do think it lends itself to some kind of passion in that way. And, you know, if it's not for you, I mean, there's lots of other opportunities out there, but I mean, I think you look to see, uh, what kind of passion you have for it and just don't give up. Yeah. Those are wonderful words from both of you. <laughs> Um, thank you so much, Sebastian. Thank you, Ed. And thank you, Sarah. Um, you know, this concludes this episode of the FI Rumble. Listeners, don't forget to comment who won in the arena. Was it general contractor, regulator? The engineering the world. Industry? world. Yes, the industry. The industry, the industry is the one that wins. Yes, thank you so much. On behalf of DFI, we hope you enjoyed this episode. The views, information, and opinions expressed during Deep Foundation Institute's podcasts are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of DFI. DFI does not verify or take responsibility for the accuracy of the information contained, nor does it warrant that the information contained herein is suitable for any general or specific use. The podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Editing, modification, or redistribution of this podcast is prohibited. Sponsored by ECA. Thanks for your time. Keep on surviving.